I'm David. And I'm Lacey. And this is Life on the DL. Our friends and family are constantly asking us for our advice and opinions, which of course we'd love to share. And that inspired us to start this podcast, Life on the DL. The content of this podcast is provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information here without first seeking appropriate advice from a financial professional. We love not worrying about if we have enough money to do the things that we truly enjoy. Like eating at nice restaurants, taking vacations, and simply taking time off whenever we need it. So because of that, we've became really great at automating our finances. And we developed a passion for financial literacy in order to support our lifestyle, which lets us focus on experiences instead of how much things cost. We also love and focus on living for ourselves, not anybody else. We do and we don't do things not because of what others think or feel, but because those are the experiences that we both want to enjoy. So today we're going to share how we do this through simplifying our financial system through automation and how you can do the same. We've broken this up into three key areas, what comes in, what goes out, and our savings. So for as far as what comes into our accounts, we always maximize our 401k instead of simply contributing what is necessary to hit our employer's 401k match. Now, this may not be something that you can comfortably do in the beginning, but something that you can work up to depending on your financial situation. I can say years ago, um, even before our relationship, I at best contributed what the employer 401k match was. Mm -hmm. But, you know, over the years I've realized that It's a double positive of not just that match, but every dollar you put into your 401k is removed from your taxable income. And then what you make on that 401k is also non-taxable. So it's it's a win-win both ways. Yeah, I think it's so common for people to not contribute to their 401k, at least to the fullest potential. And honestly, I remember a time where I didn't contribute to my 401k because I wanted to get paid more. And now I'm just thinking, what the hell was I doing? Why did I do that? It wasn't that important. I didn't need that money per se. I was able to survive and do what I wanted without it. So I really wish that someone would have told me that it was important to make this change early. Agreed. Same here. And the one thing, if anything, you have to contribute your 401k match from your employer. That's a guaranteed 100% return on your money immediately. You contribute a dollar, they contribute that matching dollar. It's it's $2 from the $1 you you contributed. So that's a no-brainer. But beyond that, it's trying to get to that maximum 401k contribution. This maximum is increased annually by the IRS by roughly $500 to $1,000, give or take, and it has over the past 20 to 25 years. So with that increase, we readjust this every year because it does impact our take-home. And as a quick side note, for those of you that aren't aware of what a 401k is, 
A 401k is a company-sponsored retirement account that both you as an employee and the employer can make contributions to. The employer makes contributions in what I just talked about in matching contributions, and you make contributions as an employee using a fixed dollar amount or a percentage of your pay. When the employers match your contributions, they're usually in a percentage of what you contribute as an employee. So for example, if the contribution match is 100% of 4%, then the employer will match 100% of the first 4% of your income that you contribute to the 401k. One added benefit that I want to talk about is how you can take loans from your 401k. Now this varies by employer, but most of the time, you can take a loan against your 401k. In other words, let's say if you have $10,000 in your 401k, you can usually take up to about 50% of the balance of your 401k in a loan. So you can take out $5,000 of that $10,000 balance as a loan to yourself. And then you make payments back into the 401k with interest but that interest actually is paying yourself back into that same 401k. But ideally, it's best practice not to take a loan from your 401k or with make withdrawals so that you can maximize the gains that you can make in a pre-tax and non-taxable manner. That is until you reach the IRS-defined retirement age for 401ks being 59 and a half or meeting other specific criteria such as permanent disability. Now, once your 401k is maximized, then you go into your IRA and the IRA as well should be automated through those scheduled transactions or automated deductions into your IRA. Now, by maximizing both your IRA and your 401k, you do reduce, again, your taxable income now and in the future, and you never actually, quote, see the money going into your accounts. So this is why we're calling this what goes into your accounts is what you see actually going in. 401ks and IRAs are like secret savings that are so easy. There's really no excuse not to utilize them to their full potential if you're able to fit it into your budget. If you are already using that income as part of your budget, whenever you get a raise, you can adjust your 401k then. It's okay to start small and work your way up to it. Just be sure to do so before or soon after you see the money in your paycheck because once you get used to having it, it's way more difficult to mentally put that money away. And that's exactly what happened to me when I first started working and had a 401k available for the first time. Since I didn't start with maximizing my contributions at that starting point. So I hope that you learn from my experience and max out your contribution early on in your career, preferably during your first job. So I have to tell a story here. My son recently graduated from college and he's going on to his first job. And it's a very great job that comes with a 401k and matching. And the first thing I told him was to allot the maximum 401k deduction. So... Going from college with no income, he's going into this new job, great income, 
and he's going to already hit the maximum 401k deduction without ever seeing it. So this is one example of if you're able to put it away in the beginning so you never actually see that take home income from the beginning. So now that I'm done with my story, let's go on to the second piece is that we automate our direct deposits to send that fixed percentage of our take-home paychecks directly into our joint checking. So if you want to hear more about that, listen to episode two, which is about managing our money in a dual-income household and how we set up that percentage take-home for our joint checking account. So then we send the remainder after that calculated percentage into our personal accounts. This makes it easier for us to stick to our budget and not having to worry about transferring manually what we need for monthly expenses. That's not to say there are times where we transfer manually when we have much higher than expected expenses for that month. Yeah, there are instances even recently that we've had to transfer additional money over to our joint accounts, such as when we recently purchased an investment property. We obviously didn't have that money just sitting in an account readily available, so we had to shift that over to our joint to make that payment. So we've talked a lot about what goes into our accounts. So let's switch gears to what goes out. So we've set up automatic payments for all of our recurring expenses, including utilities and credit card payments. Again, we prefer to do that on the higher end of our average to be sure that we don't need to make those additional transfers unless they're necessary. We also prefer to pay as much as possible using credit cards for the points and additional benefits offered by doing so. So credit cards can be used as a tool, but proceed with caution if that's something that you're doing. One key aspect of this strategy is that we know that we must pay off the statement balance every single month and we spend accordingly. We budget our high average spending into those monthly expenses so that we're accounting for what we need to make this payment. And another safeguard that we put in place to be sure that we never accidentally miss a payment and impact our credit score is that automated minimum payment for each credit card that we have. There are a lot of options. So if you choose to go this route, you should research the best credit card for your lifestyle. And we might go deeper into this topic in an upcoming episode. If that's something that you'd be interested in, let us know. So essentially, the only things that go out of our accounts are those recurring expenses, such as utilities, home payments, car payments, etc., and those credit card payments. Knock on wood, but we have yet to forget a payment where the automatic minimum payment had to go in for a credit card. But it's still very good to have that in place as a safeguard because that one missed payment will mess up your credit score, which we'll Mm -hmm. talk about in a separate episode. There are some credit cards that will take out the automatic minimum payment that you set up regardless of the balance. So if you're paying it off each month, there's a chance that your account would briefly be in the negative. But most cards will give you the option to skip that automatic minimum payment 
if you make a payment manually prior to when that one is scheduled to go out. This will vary based on the specific credit card company's policies and functionality. Between David and I, we have four different types of credit cards through four different companies, and only one of them does not allow us to skip that minimum payment. So finally, savings. First and foremost, before anything, investments, savings, is your emergency fund. The emergency fund, every financial advisor out there will tell you, is your single most important priority for you to build up. If you have a loss in income, reduction in income, the things that we've seen through the pandemic, that emergency fund is what's going to get you through. Now, the amount of emergency fund varies depending on your income level, your family situation. It can range from six weeks to six months of an emergency fund that you need to build up. But that's something you and your family should discuss and determine what that is. So first, establish that emergency fund. Secondly, the emergency fund should be immediately accessible cash. So this is something that is built up in a savings account or a money market account, but it's basically something that you can withdraw immediately that minute, that day, not something that you need to wait to liquidate. Now, after that emergency fund is built, then we can look at different types of investments. These investments can range from basic mutual funds, exchange traded funds, stocks, bonds, and everything that you can trade within your trading platforms of choice. And when I speak about these investments, these are really the different vehicles for your savings. Automating these savings are a very important part. So make sure to set up automatic transfers to your savings accounts, automatic transfers into your investment accounts. But the most important part is to automate whatever that is that you're moving to those savings or investment vehicles. Now, we also talked earlier about your 401ks. Those are also something you need to ensure that you maximize after the match. And then your IRAs after your 401ks are maximized. We talked about how we pay the high average of our credit cards within our what we bring into our joint account. That doesn't mean that's what we pay on the credit card every month. That's the high average. So there are those months that we don't have a high enough balance for all of that to go in. So the remainder of whatever we don't spend that month is also put into some sort of investment or savings. This just helps you start diversifying where you put your money, but it also acts as an additional savings that you've already, quote, spent by putting into your joint account. For savings, we have that specific percentage that we set aside for those savings and investments every month. In addition to that set percentage, any remainder that we don't spend on that high average credit card that we talked about is also put into investments and just acts as an additional investment on top of the preset percentage that we put into savings. Right. So just like we mentioned in our previous episode of how I manage our income in a dual income household, we also have those separate savings and investment accounts, which we will move any additional funds that we don't utilize that month 
into those based on our individual account surplus and savings goals. So in simplifying our financial system, we've automated as much as possible in those three key areas, what comes in, what goes out, and how we save and invest. The content of this podcast is provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information here without first seeking appropriate advice from a financial professional. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast networks with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. We'd love to hear your questions at Life on the DL on Instagram or email us at Life on the DL podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss out on our new episodes. If you love today's show, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in.